You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. Our sponsors for today's episode are the Hoof Care Essentials Foundation and their partner, Yoda Blacksmith Supplies. In March, just before lockdown, I managed to fit in a visit to Brazil and Argentina. And the main purpose for that was to finish uh, my photographic book, The Farrier, because I'd got nothing from Latin America, from South America. So it was a big hole in the project and I had to go there to fill that gap. While I was there, I only recorded one podcast and it was with somebody I'd never met before and wasn't expecting to meet. I was in Brazil, in San Paulo, with an old friend of mine, Caco Moraes. Well, Caco's a great friend, but his English really isn't up to doing an interview. Uh, We get by, really, with the usual hand signals and pointing and, um, uh, you know, the international farrier language of picking the foot up and pointing to bits. But the couple of days of showing that um, I was there with Caco... He had along with him Henan Modesto, and Henan not only helped Caco, but was uh, a very young vet and also trained as a farrier, and he'd been doing that just three to five years. He was also going to be my translator at the one ad hoc lecture that was organised for my trip. So, of course, I took the opportunity to interview him, But he is another example of somebody who ended up in my book, The Farrier, albeit he's just there assisting Kako, so he doesn't have a chapter to himself. But you can listen to the voice and you can also see not only what Henan looks like, but also the environment that he works in. He's pretty young. The youngest person that I have recorded for a podcast, 27 years old. So I was able to talk to him about how you get into training in a country with no farrier school. And later on in the interview, uh, we get into foot mapping and laminitis. I'm in the city of Itu in southwest Brazil, and I've just come up from São Paulo, where I've been out I haven't been showing, I've just been observing Henna Modesto, who's kindly agreed to come in and do a podcast with me. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. So I think we ought to um, start off with the obvious question and ask you, when did you first get into horses? Well, I think I was five years old when I got my first mare. And it was just like a little trail ride mare. Didn't have any good blood on it, just a normal little horse, little pony. And that was my start. And I had many horses before I went to college. And I spent basically my whole childhood and life besides horses, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So you grew up on a farm, did you? No. I grew up in a big city. In a big city? Yeah. Sao Paulo, one of the biggest capitals in the world. Okay. It is. It's it's vast. It it takes, well, an hour to get out of it. Yeah. Minimum. Every opportunity I had, I would go the countryside like 40 minutes from my place and spend as much time as I could with horses so that's how I got into it okay now at this point I usually ask who I'm interviewing 
how they became a farrier. But I know before you became a farrier, you became a vet. So tell me how you. Yeah, I uh, went to vet school in 2011. I was 17 to 18 years old. And it's in a city called Botucatu, it's in a state university. And I spent, I spent four years on it, and I almost finished the course. But then I did something that we call lock it. I just locked the course. Mm-hmm. When I first figured, I liked horseshoeing. So you could return and... and yeah, and we just lock it for a time and you can figure some stuff but out. But there must be a limit to that time. I don't think it is. No? no. You can go back at 60? Not 60, but... Well, then there's a limit. Yeah, it is. A couple of years, I guess. You know, you're past your couple of years. Yeah, I, I, I like it for a year. Okay. So, at what point then did you want to become a farrier? On 2014, I was in the last, last year of theory and vet classes. And I started seeing more and more cases of pathology stuff, like horseshoeing related, related problems. And nobody knew how to fix it. So that sparkled my, my flame, I guess. And okay. I started studying by myself and look out for opportunities out there. So obviously you left university, and then how did you get your training as a farrier? Well, after I stopped college, I started searching for horseshoeing schools. And we don't have horseshoeing schools here in Brazil. So I found Chris Gregory's school, Heartland Horseshoeing School in Missouri, USA. And in 2015, I did my journeyman farrier course at Chris Gary School. And it took me almost a year. And I stayed there and learned pretty much everything I know now. Okay, so you're there almost a year. And you say journeyman farrier course, but that's not the same as the... No, AFA it's just journeyman. the name of the course. I think it's 24 weeks okay. of course and five weeks as an apprentice. And on that apprenticeship, I went to California showing for a guy named Chuck Cole. Okay, so well, we'll, it's almost 30 months. We'll, we'll talk to you about that in a minute. But first of all, what did your course consist of then when you were at Heartland School? Well, we did pretty much everything from, from forging to anatomy and lectures about physiology and how the foot works, anatomy of the horse, business classes, forging demos, showing horses pretty much everything horseshoeing related. Okay, I well I, I have visited Chris's school twice, so, yeah, it's so I know, yeah, no, it's a great yeah. place, and of course, um, you know, he's an extraordinary guy, really, and... Yeah, uh, I would and, recommend and, for anyone out there. It's okay. a really good place. All right, so you've, you've, you've finished your training there, and you've gone and found somebody to, as the Americans would say, apprentice with, or ride with, or mm-hmm. uh, as a helper, and how did that work out? Uh, the apprenticeship in Heartland is in the middle of the course, actually. Okay. So after 16 weeks, I went to California uh, working for a guy called Chucko. And uh, we worked pretty much all handmade, concave, dressage jumper horses for five weeks. And that's, that's the business that I like. I like classic dressage and jumpers. So it was a great experience for me. And I met a lot of people out there. Well, you were helping to show a good dressage horse today, weren't you? Yeah. yeah. Just um, without giving the name away, because I don't like to give um, horses, because some clients might not like it, but what did this horse achieve? Well, he went to the Olympics a couple of times, so Hmm. it's a a Brazilian dressage 
Olympic team horse. Yeah, I know it was pretty high level, and um, yeah. he had a couple of issues though, didn't he? Oh, a couple. <laughs> so some, yeah. Yeah, so he needed a little bit of help, but it was it was great to watch you and Kako, um, your old mentor. Yeah, in fact, he's my mentor horse. I was helping him, but yeah, he's a great horse, and yeah. he, he has some issues, but we can figure something out and do the best job possible. Well, obviously, he's had a good job done on him because he's been highly successful. Right. Um, you know, there's no two ways about that. So you're in California, and you do it, in England we'd call it a sandwich course, because yeah. you did it in the middle. Yeah, that's and right. that's a great way to learn, because you go back with some more practical skills and some more deeper understanding of what goes on in the outside world, and then you come back and you continue with your course, which yeah. has to be good. So you did you stay in America at all and work? Well, I finished uh, my journeyman course in Heartland, and then I flew back to Brazil. Yeah. And I had luck by my university, right? So I had to finish it. Okay. And after Chris Gregory School, I spent my last year in my internship kind of thing in veterinary school. So I worked every month for a different vet in 2016, pretty much. Yeah. And after that, I just did my thesis and we finished it up. With my school. Okay, I misunderstood you early on. That's why I was questioning you about yeah. how long. I thought you had not gone back yet. I did. I okay, did. so I you're yeah. so you are a qualified veterinary surgeon. Yeah, I am. And you're also now a farrier, and you've done a good course. But do you practice at all as a vet, or are you um, full time farrier? I'm a full time farrier, but I do a lot of vet stuff. So I can I sometimes I block horses. Yeah. I do sedations. I do x-rays and I evaluate the x-rays with vets, those kind of stuff, yeah. I do some vet stuff, for sure. Okay. And are you allied to some of the vets that have practices where they're just looking at horses or, uh, you know, in other words, do you get referrals as a farrier because of your veterinary knowledge? Oh yeah, for sure. In fact, more than half of my work is like lame horses and pathological stuff, orthopedic stuff like that you know when a horse has a problem and pretty much nobody can fix it we try to figure some some stuff out with x-rays and blocks and evaluation and then wolves vets and that kind of stuff so yes and you're i know you're not in this area you're i don't know how well, many kilometers away from i work from my college city to sao paulo so um i shoot horses from botucatu to sao paulo all the way around. And what's the distance between those? 230 two? kilometers, pretty much. Okay. That's my So radius. if I can do my math, that's 150 miles, 140, 150 yeah, miles. So much. that's quite a distance. So you have this corridor between Perfect, these two cities yeah. and... Three and main roads that connects everything. Okay. Yeah. And what type of horses are you showing? All kinds of horses. Okay. I, I do some trail ride. I do some backyard. Uh, I train some foals work on western bear racers, jumpers, dressage, problem horses, laminated horses, all kinds of stuff. And what's your favorite? Jumpers and dressage, yeah. Okay, so the type of horses we were seeing yeah. today. Today I, was a good day. Yeah. I should say we were at the um, riding club in, in San Paolo and it is just so beautiful. It's right in the middle of the city. Yeah. So there's all these uh, blocks, the tower blocks around but it's a big area and there's lots of arenas, the stabling is good 
And I thought the forge was uh, was really good and well set up, but I was told that that's because it was a Saturday and there wasn't many farriers there, and it can become overcrowded during oh, the yeah. week. During the week, yeah, weekends are perfect for working there, but during the week there's too many people in there, and you get it can get a little bit crazy sometimes. Yeah. Too many horses, too many farriers working together. So who decides who has what station? Uh, we don't have a rule, really. <laughs> we just figure things out and try to communicate with each other. Is it use it or lose it or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I know I bring all my stuff, but some yeah. people have th their stuff there. So okay. we'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, we only had one gas bottle there today, didn't we? Yeah, we So did. there was three different guys. There was only three, there was only three horses at any time in there but all working from the same forge. Yeah, that was pretty cool, but it, wasn't but it? But it worked all right. Yeah. I mean, nobody got in anybody's way. It, yeah. was, it was all done well. So that was really quite something to see that, and um, not only that, but to enjoy the warm weather here, because, of course, in Europe, it's right in the middle of winter still. Right. And here, you're just at the end of summer, aren't you? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. But it was a nice 24 degrees, yeah. so... It was a good day. 75 degrees mm -hmm. Fahrenheit. Yeah, really good. Comfortable and really good. Okay, I'm going to ask you three quick questions and I'd like you just to give me the answer quickly. Yeah, perfect. And not prevaricate like some of my uh, some of my victims do. So, a straight knife or a loop knife? A loop knife. A chestnut or a grey? A chestnut. Uh, hot shoeing or cold shoeing? Hot shoeing all day. Every yeah? Day. yeah? So you never cold shoe? Mostly never, yeah. Young, young horses? Some, some I sedated, and some laminated horses who I can cannot burn or use clogs or casts. I don't burn it, but yeah, if I can, I'll burn it. Difficult to burn on a glue-on shoe, isn't it? Yeah, we um, don't do the many glue shoes though. No, so. no. Well, we're going to get onto that about products because um, obviously here, I mean, it, the way I understood it this time is I know the Brazilian economy has had some problems, but. Actually, the horse economy is doing really well. Yeah. Here in Brazil, the, the horse economy, it generates more money and, and jobs than the, the car industry. So yeah. it's a pretty big industry. Yeah, it's really huge. Yeah. But because of the strength of the Brazilian currency and economy, some of the products that we have widely available, whether it's in the USA, Europe or Australia, are not so widely available, are they here, or are, no. they, are they? No, they're not available here. And if you can't get some, it's really expensive. Yeah, no. but you do have acrylics here, don't you? Not really. No. No, we have to import it, and we well, don't have a national one. No. Okay, so nobody's manufacturing here. Not acrylic, no. Yeah, so that means it really does cost you. Yeah, it does. Yeah, a lot. From the point of view of shoes. I know there's mustard here, but is there other makes of shoe here? Well, on those classic horses, mostly of my work is mustard, liberal and concave. Yeah. But we have some uh, Brazilian keg shoes. Uh, the one that I mostly like is from the south. It's called Ferraduras Criola. It's from Rio Grande do Sul state. Yeah. And they work, they work pretty good on quarter horses, smaller horses. But other than that, I just go for Mustang, yeah. And do you get them at a better price because they're made here? Yeah, 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 a little bit cheaper. And what about nails? I saw a box of nails 
that I hadn't seen elsewhere, and I think it... Oh, you'll have to tell me what it was. It wasn't Clavos, um, because... Although I think that's the name of the hoof in... Yeah, that's the name Spons. of nails, Kravos. Oh, well, cra- yeah, that's it. It's got it an R. nails, yeah. Okay. So maybe it's in Spanish where it's Clavos. Yeah, that's and, Spanish. And in, in Portuguese it's Cranos. Cravos. Cravos. Okay, yeah. so where are they manufactured? Uh, well, I don't know for real uh, the ones you're talking about, but here we have Derby. Well, we have the, um, the Liberty ones. Yeah. And we have some national ones, but I mostly use derbies. So there are some national horseshoe yeah, nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, of course, these manufacturers all, all keep it very secret where they make them. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so, so you have some here, made here in Brazil. Yeah. Okay, I have a bit of fun usually, and um, because you speak Portuguese, the, the, the Brazilian version, is mm. it very different? Not really, a little bit of the accent. About the difference between English English and American English, is it? Yeah, something like that, yeah. So, what I'd like you to say to me in Brazilian Portuguese is, Uh Madam, if you do not hold your horse still, I can't shoe it. (laughs) (laughs) Madam, por favor, se você não conseguir conter, segurar seu cavalo, eu não vou ferrar ele, tá bom? Okay, and have you ever had to say that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, we've all had to say it at times. Yeah, I bet. Now, I saw you foot mapping one yeah. of the, the hooves that you were showing. So tell me, how did you get into foot mapping? Well, I learned a lot on the internet. I think YouTube is a great way to educate yourself. But most of my knowledge on hoof mapping came from Mark Caldo. Okay. And he was here in Brazil, I think, two years ago. Yeah. And I translated the clinic too. And uh, I learned a lot from that man. And the hoof mapping added one more tool to my bag, okay. pretty much. So tell me, how does it help you as a farrier show horse? Well, on complicated, dedicated horses, uh, sometimes you don't have an x-ray. And I think hoof mapping is a great way to achieve the knowledge x-ray can give you. So I can see the hoof capsule and I can see the inside of it, pretty much. And I can, I can make the choice of shoe selection, shoe size, position, and modifications and stuff like that to make a good symmetrical balanced foot. So okay. that's why I use it. All right. Do you use it on every horse you shoe? Mentally, yes, yeah. but I don't map it on every foot that I do. Okay. But on the Difficult orthopedic hard stuff, yeah, I map it. I map that. Okay. Because you'll be one of the first guys I've met who say that. I, I find guys, they're sort of interested in foot mapping, and then whenever you should see them shoe, they don't foot map. So I was always wondering what, what it adds to their ability to shoe the horse in a way that if they didn't do that, um, they wouldn't have, really. It's like having an x-ray, so okay. it, it helps me. So tell me, if you have a horse that's um, got uh, acute founder, mm-hmm. will the foot mapping tell you what an x-ray will? Maybe, if you know how you use it. So if you map it, yeah. you have the reference for the normal foot, right? Yeah. And you know that it's synced, so you can... How do you know that? Well, if it didn't sync, at least you have an acute laminitis attack and it may sync, right? So you can figure approximately the position of P3 and know where you can 
dig in and where I'm, not I'm to dig in. I'm still intrigued. Yeah, I know. You know? Digging in never helps with no. um, any horse, let alone laminitic. I'm still intrigued to know that that when you say you can use it when you, when you don't have an x-ray. Look, I'm, I'm not a radiologist. I'm not trying to sell radiographs to anybody. Yeah. But I'm intrigued the fact that you say that you can use it to replace an x-ray. And so I used the example of acute founder. So this hoof looks normal to me. Right. And yet radiographically it would show that rotation has yeah, begun. Yeah, I think I, maybe I misunderstood. Maybe like on an acute founder or acute laminitis, you don't have the, you have a normal hoof, but you yeah. know something's gone on, right? So well, mainly because the horse you, sticks its hind feet under it and doesn't want right. to doesn't want to stand on its toes. Yeah. But still, you can evaluate if that foot is proportional or well balanced, and if not, you can make it better and then apply the the needs of it, or you yeah. can cast it and you can do a pair of clogs or yeah. anything. So. It helps me to figure out what I need to do with the foot, and after that I can do the treatment, okay. something like that. Do you ever, um, in cases of, of laminitis, do you ever palpate the coronary band? Oh yeah, I'll play, palpate the coronary band, the pulse, okay. the sole, the frog, all all the structures really. It's okay. like a I, I was examination. More, I was more thinking in terms of the fact that if you palpate the coronary band in a in a laminitic case, you can feel yeah, feel the depression, right? Yeah, yeah, I do that. Yeah. So that gives you more information than your foot mapping about where the pedal bone is, doesn't well, it? Yeah, but it's all about the the whole picture, right? Okay, well, if, that's, if I foot map and yeah. examine it, uh, okay. I have a better um, understand what what's going on. Okay, that's Something fair enough. Like that, yeah. Yep. I, I was just wondering that you're you're still. Quite new, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you got into it in about uh, 2011? On vet school, yeah. Yeah, and then 2015, is that? On horseshoe school, Okay, yes. so you're, you're quite new into this. Where do you get the opportunity uh, to increase your education here in Brazil? Well, I'm a really well fortunate person, and I'm, I always say that I met the, the right people at the right time. Yeah. So I had great mentors on vet school, and one of them showed me the, the Heartland Horseshoe School, and I had really good opportunities at Chris School and at California, because especially in California, because I met a lot of failure there. And in 2017, I was invited to go back there and work for a while. So that helped me a lot. Um, learning a lot in a short period Was that with the same guy that you... No, no. Another I, one. In 2017, I worked with Brian Graham. Mm -hmm. And same thing, uh, dressage and jumpers mainly. A little bit of quarter horses, but all handmades. Out straight out uh, on the back of the van and all Handmade? Made, yeah, all made by the horse. So that was a great, great opportunity for me. Yeah. And do you hand make shoes now? Yeah, some, I do. I do, but I'm getting a little bit busy, <laughs> so when I can, yes, I'll animate it, but most of the times I'll just modify cat shoes, okay. good cat shoes, like liberal or especially concave. I use a lot of concave cat shoes. Okay. You're, you're probably too young to know this, but you know, 30 years ago, the only place in the world you'd see concave was England, Ireland, and Australia. Yeah. Well, maybe New Zealand as well. Concave shoes have spread I really, around the world. I really hope that we got 
Kamke Barstock someday. I don't know yeah. how, but I really hope that those good stuff get here, you know. Well, if you can make uh, shoes from concave bar, you can make shoes from anything. Right, right. That the control that you get, you know, people that have not used concave and have, have learned to work on flat, when they get concave, they suddenly realize how much it twists and... Yeah, it does. Twists and turns. So it teaches you real... a little bit with concave, it's pretty hard yeah. at the beginning. Well, that's, that's what I started with, so I thought that was normal uh, for shoes. Okay, so you touched on the fact that you are an interpreter, translator, and of course the reason, one of the reasons we got together is you're actually going to be uh, translating for me on Monday, right? and uh, we're going to the jockey club of... Sorokaba. Sorokaba. Yeah. I should have remembered that because I have actually been <laughs> to Sorokaba before, uh, and to do a lecture and you're going to be my translator or interpreter. Now, what's the difference between an interpreter and a translator? <laughs> well... A translator is like Google Translate, you know what I mean? It just translates the words. Yeah. I think an uh, interpreter, it takes the message and adapts the message for the crowd yeah. besides translating. So it's a little bit more complicated and it's real time. So yeah. it, it, well, it can get pretty hard sometimes. We're not going to do simultaneous, are we? We're going to do... Yeah, yeah. I'm going to speak and then you're going to speak. Yeah. You, you have made me slightly nervous, though, about translating and interpreting. I'll try my best, yeah. I know, you'll do a great job because um, you come with a good recommendation and we've got to go through the uh, presentation mm -hmm. and make sure that everything's understood, so I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, at this point, Henna, I think we're going to call it a day. It's been really good talking to you. Uh, been great hearing about your experiences, not just here in Brazil, but qualifying as a vet and then and going off to the States and coming back here and building up the business. Anyway, we're going to get back to this presentation. So thank you very much for taking part in this honor. podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So having come home from Brazil and just fitting in this end to the podcast, uh, it made me realize how helpful Henan was and, you know, the lecture that he translated for me, uh, I'd been told we'd get 20 to 30 farriers and vets there because it was organised in the space of three days. In fact, in the end, there was standing room only and there was 120 there. And Henan, by all accounts of those that spoke Portuguese and English, did a very, very good job for me. You, you can tell from the podcast, very interesting chap. Uh, not untypical of Brazil, where there are a lot, a huge number of trained vets, and so many of the farriers actually trained originally as vets. I think more than probably any other country. Uh, I hope you don't think that I was too hard on him with regard to foot mapping, um, but I think you could guess from the interview that much as I was trying to be kind, I was very sceptical of his understanding of the use of foot mapping, but, you know, to be fair, he explained himself and he gave me some answers. It's up to you how valid you think those answers are. But I enjoyed my time there. It was a very short trip. And at least I came back with this one podcast. I did come back with four different chapters for the Farrier. And in one of those, you can look up Henan Modesto. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. 
You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.